Amen. Aren't you glad God's Word changes lives? And boy, they did a great job telling that, sharing that truth. Boy, that was wonderful. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 14. We're going to deviate from our normal um, uh, series, I guess. We're going to move away from that. We've been dealing with, you know, our Back to God series. But on the eve of our Vacation Bible School, I thought I'd just share a simple challenge and just try to encourage you slightly tonight and maybe uh, just... uh, I don't know, help you to realize that uh, the investment you're making is a worthwhile investment. It's a good investment. And so we're going to look at that tonight just for just a few moments. Mark chapter 10, we're going to start there reading in verse 14. We're going to read through verse 16, and then we'll um, kick things off and get moving along here. Mark chapter 10, beginning verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, excuse me, let's go back to verse uh, 13. I, I don't know why. I wrote down the wrong verse there. I've had the the verses written. I just don't have the right one. I'm glad I'm in the Bible, not just on my notes here. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this simple passage. And Lord, what a tremendous truth is bound in it. And Lord, we could go so many directions. But tonight, may our hearts be encouraged. May we be inspired as we consider working with our children this week. Lord, be glorified now, Father. We desperately need you. And Lord, I pray you'd fill me with your spirit. And Lord, may you just anoint every listening ear. And may we all, Father, leave here uh, having said like the psalmist, it was good when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. We love you now. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. In Akron alone, there are almost 200,000 people. Just Akron, 197,631, I believe it is. Almost 200,000 people. Do you realize out of those 200,000 people, there are 43,200 that are under the age of 18? Now, that's quite a bit. That's a, a, quite, a, quite a few young people, quite a few children. And in 2004, the Barna Groups had a study. And that study indicated that nearly half of all Americans who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, do so before reaching the age of 13. 43%, as a matter of fact. And that two out of three born-again Christians, 64%, made, their, made that commitment to Christ before their 18th birthday. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a, a very interesting and very informative statistic. 
that literally 64%, at least at the time in 2004, and honestly, I don't believe things are getting better in this area. If anything, more are being saved younger before they get older, less are being saved as they get out of high school and move on into life. But 64% made that commitment to Christ before their 18th birthday. Now, again, according to the research, reaching children isn't just important then. It's paramount. And if we hope to reach the world with the gospel, there is no doubt, based on what we're understanding, what we see here in not only statistics, but also from the word of God, that we need to reach out to children and we need to reach out to young people as well. I just want to do a little poll here in the church today, and it might work out, it may not work out, I'm not sure. But let's go ahead and ask the question, just a couple of simple questions. How many in the room were saved as children under the age of 18? Now, that means 17 and below. And I want you to raise your hand. If you were saved before the age of 18, would you raise your hand? Raise it high. I want you to look around the crowd, would you? Look at the percentage. All right, I'll tell you what I want you to do this time. I want you to stand so everybody can see that number. Would you stand up? Because it's really impressive. Look at this. Now, I mean, honestly, look at this, out of this group, this many were saved before the age of 18. Now, listen, 64% it talked about. That sounds probably about right here, at least somewhere in that vicinity. You may have the seat. Thank you. Now, I mean, think about that for a minute. As you looked over that crowd, look at the number of people that sit here tonight on this Sunday night in Akron, Ohio, here at the Community Baptist Temple, and and look at how many of them were saved before their 18th birthday. Let's say that they weren't reached before their 18th birthday. Boy, I'll tell you what, we could statistically begin to watch as the numbers decline rapidly. But praise God, they were saved. We could say how many were saved over 18, and the rest would stand up, or at least majority would. But there wasn't that many overall, maybe a third. And if we really wanted to get technical, we could ask the question, how many were saved before the age of, say, 25, or the age of 30? Let me tell you, the longer we wait and the the further people get into life and get rooted into this world, the harder and more difficult it becomes to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 10, verse 14, they said, And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and bless them. Now, earlier in the chapter, Jesus had come into the coast of Judea. A crowd had gathered, and he had begun to teach them and share things with them. Then the Pharisees show up, and they begin to ask him questions. It was not unusual for them to do so. Usually, when they began to ask questions, it wasn't in a sincere attempt to truly glean from the Master. It wasn't really asked in an attempt to understand the Word of God or to recognize and realize that He was truly Messiah. No, most of the time when they asked these questions, they were doing it to try to, guess, stump Him or mess Him up or trip Him up. And this was no different, this particular occasion. 
And so as they attempted to trip up the master, they addressed a subject that has divided Christianity for years and years and years. Divorce. And Jesus is simply teaching the people. And he ultimately confronts the doctors of the law. And now we find these children showing up. Well, I'll tell you what, Jesus is busy. And Jesus is very active. And there are many people, learned people and unlearned people and others that want to get to him and want to ask questions and want to try to even, in this case, trip him up. But when the children started showing up, things started to change a little bit. The Bible says they brought young children to him. And I want to note a few things in the passage very quickly. First of all, note the parents' desire. See, I believe that there were moms here. And, uh, you know, when it says here that they brought the young children to him, the, the, the way those words are used and the, 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 the type of, of words that are, are used to translate that refer to little children, some infants and some younger, but even it could include even some teenagers. They brought the young children to him. I'm telling you, there were parents, there were some moms that wanted their children to be blessed by Jesus Christ. They wanted him to bless them, and so they brought them to Jesus. And why wouldn't they? Some of them had heard of the miracles that he had performed. Some of them had recognized his name and heard friends and family talk about him. And they thought, man, if he can do that for, say, a blind man, he can do something for my child. And they brought their children to him. I don't know about you, but any time a special guest speaker would come into town, I was quick to try to get my children around the special guest speaker. You say, well, why? Because I wanted them to get to meet greatness. You say, he's just a man. I know, but they were men being used by God. And I wanted my children to be exposed to men being used by God. And may I say something? That Jesus Christ wasn't just a man being used by God. He was God in flesh. He was Emmanuel. And so these parents' desire were to bring their children to him, that he might touch them. But we note the disciples' disdain. The Bible goes on to say his disciples rebuked those that brought them. How sad is that commentary? So you get the picture. Jesus is now addressing many uh, Uh, Pharisees and Sadducees and he's trying to teach the crowd and and I'm sure that like all other times they they were pressing upon him and all of a sudden these children show up and parents are trying to get their kids to Jesus so that he can touch them, so that he can bless them. And the disciples are like, hey, whoa, hold on, hold on. That's enough. No, no, the master's busy enough. He's got more important things to do than mess with a bunch of kids. I mean, the disciples took it on themselves, I'm sure, to try to protect Jesus Christ from his public. But they were his public. And although I believe they had good intentions, they certainly did not have the best interest of the children at heart, and they certainly didn't have God's interest at heart. When I say God, I'm talking about Jesus. And the Bible, the the word that's used there when it talks about rebuke has to do with chiding or reproving, to reprehend for a fault. Almost as if these ladies and these these fellows maybe that brought their children, they're doing something wrong. They weren't doing anything wrong by trying to get the master to recognize their children, to touch their children. 
We see the disciples' disdain. But also we note the Lord's displeasure. It's not often that you see Christ being upset, getting upset, do you? Now, again, there's times that he has. Of course, we know he flipped over some tables. We know that he looked on their unbelief and he had said there was a problem with that. We know that he wasn't always happy. We recognize that in Scripture. And in this particular case, this is one of those times. The parents are trying to get their children to Jesus. And, I mean, there's a crowd around him and it's probably very busy in that time. And he's trying to make his way through that crowd. And the children come up on him and and the 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 disciples are frustrated and they're saying, get away from the master. Move away from the master. He's busy enough. He's got too much to do. You're just bothering him now. Those children have no place in his presence. And Jesus, he is displeased. The Bible says when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. Now, I don't know if he heard it, but I know he saw it. He obviously saw some disciple of his somehow trying to keep those parents away. And keep, no, come on. The master doesn't want... No, you kids stay back. Mom, take your kids, please. Get control of them. And some of them were going, No, we want our baby to be touched by Jesus. Let me have the master touch my baby. Just let him touch him. No, you move back. And I can see him pushing mom back with her baby. Getting a move away. Crowd control now, you know? And Jesus saw that. And it bothered him. The Bible says it displeased him. We see the Lord's displeasure. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to displease the Master. I have, I'm sure, many a time. But I certainly don't desire to. And I'm sure you don't either. And again, I'm not convinced that these disciples were doing anything wrong in their own mind. I think they felt they were helping out. I think they really believed they were doing him a favor, that they were protecting their master. But it displeased him. And then we see the love displayed. The Bible goes on here in our passage to say, And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. What a scene. What a scene. I don't know how you are about babies, but when I go to the hospital and someone's had a baby, or if I go to their house after they've had it, or even when it comes time to do the dedication, if I haven't had an opportunity to hold that baby in my arms, I'm looking forward to holding that baby. Now, I understand and I get it. It's rather intimidating for some of the moms when they see this big, burly, massive muscle. (laughs) And the thought of me holding that baby like I could literally crush it in my hands like without knowing it. But I do my best to be gentle and I do my best to, to embrace them. And just like Jesus held those babies, I take great pleasure in holding a baby for a very short time. And then I'm very happy to give the baby back to mom. And the Bible says he took them up in his arms. I don't know how old they were, but it does appear, according to the passage, that they were, they were infants and there were some young children. I don't know if Jesus sat down on a stoop. I don't know if he was on a step. I don't know if he sat on a rock. I'm not sure if he was standing. But what I know is when the kids arrived to him, he grabbed them up. 
And he laid his hands on them and he blessed them. By the way, I, I, don't, I don't mean to digress too awfully much, but the master did not save them there. The master holding them and touching them and blessing them did not mean they would go to heaven. That would be a decision they would have to make later on in their life when they were old enough to make it. But we see his love displayed. What compassion, what great love, what desire he had for those youngsters. So what do we learn from the passage then? Well, we learn a number of things, and it's not complicated. We may have already touched on some of it, but number one, Jesus loved children. And Jesus loves children. I mean, the Bible says he took them up in his arms. He put his hands upon them and blessed them. I mean, Jesus was not quick to dismiss the children. No, not at all. He received them and he embraced them. He loves children. Children hold a special place in the heart of God. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 18. If you have your Bible there still, Matthew chapter 18. Go back just a a book of the Bible and look there in chapter 18, verse 5 and 6. Children hold a very special place in the heart and mind of God. Matthew 18, verse 5 says, And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Now I understand there's, doctrinally speaking, there's a lot going on here. But I think in a very practical and a very applicable, in in, in a sense of application, there is no doubt that the Lord is putting emphasis on youngsters. And he's saying simply this, you better not mess with the kids. You better not mess with the babies. You better not offend them. You better watch how you talk to them. You better watch how you act around them. You better watch what you do to them. It's a sad situation in our culture and our society, how we treat children sometimes. And it's been that way forever. And I'm not talking about coddling a child. And I'm not talking about spoiling a child. I'm not talking about raising an entitled child. I'm talking about just simply showing the kind of respect that a child deserves. Although they may not be grown-ups, they're still people. Now listen, that doesn't mean that they have equal rights in that sense. Well, you know, we're going to the business meeting. Child, speak up anytime you like. No, there's places where a child doesn't talk because they haven't learned. They haven't grown. They they they, They cannot function in that environment. I understand that. There's some places you don't take a child. There's some things you just don't do with a child. But the point is is that you show respect to children. They hold a special place in God's heart. Not only that, but number two, Jesus showed and demonstrated his love for children. We learn that from the passage. Not only did they hold a special place in his heart, but it motivated him. It moved him to do something special. As a matter of fact, in his case, the Bible says that he cried out to his disciples and he said, Listen, suffer the little children to come unto me. I love these children and I'm more than willing to receive them unto myself. I'm more than willing to bring them up and hold them in my arms. I'm more than willing to show them the kind of respect and and, and to show them that I care about them. Bring them to me. I know you guys think you're doing your best to protect me. I realize that you're trying to keep the workload down. 
But I love these children. And I love all children. So we learn that children hold a special place in the heart of God, but also Jesus showed or demonstrated his love for the children. Isn't that a sad thing when a husband says to a wife, I love you, but he doesn't show her? Isn't it sad when a wife says, I love you, but she doesn't show him? Isn't it pitiful when a teenager or a young person or a child will say to a parent, I love you, mom, I love you, dad, but then they won't obey him and they won't do what they're told and they'll, they won't show him. It's sad when a parent says, I love you to the son or daughter, but then doesn't show them. I mean, it's just a, it's not how it's supposed to work. In Christianity, in the Word of God, it's very clear that love is supposed to be an action. It's not, it's not some passive thing. It's an active thing. And Jesus was active, and he demonstrated his love for the children. Number three, we learned this. We need to love those who Jesus loves. We need to love those who Jesus loves. And you know who he loves? Children. He loves children. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, the Bible tells us, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Again, without getting into it very deep, the reality is, is that the Bible teaches that as a believer, our mind and Christ's mind ought to be one. We need to have the mind of Christ. We need to think like Christ. And ultimately, that thinking leads to, 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 to attitudes and perspectives which lead to action. And so in the long run, we're to, we're to have the mind of Christ, but ultimately respond like Christ would respond. I'm going to make a statement, and I've made it before, but you don't have to agree with it, but I think there's something to it. And if I'm wrong one day in heaven, the Lord will correct me. But I really struggle with this. I believe that there's some truth to this. You can't be right with God unless you love children. How can you be right with the God that you say you love, who loves children, you say, well, I don't love children. Now, I'm not talking about, listen to me, I'm not saying that they don't get on your nerve. I'm not saying that they don't drive you nuts from time to time. I'm not saying that you'd rather be alone, maybe, at times. Boy, I'll tell you what, I never believed 100%, never really grasped it all fully, but let me tell you something. I love children, but I am glad when the grandbaby goes home. (laughs) Now listen, I spoil her to death, and sooner or later her little brother's going to come, and there's others on the way, I believe, down the road. i got to believe that. And so here's the bottom line. I'm going to spoil them to death. I'm going to make them, I'm going to sugar them up. I'm going to give them every loud toy there is in America. And send them home. But I love children, though. So I'm not talking about that you always, you know, sign me up for the nursery. I'm 95 and I can't hardly walk and I can't hear, but give me a baby. That's not what I'm talking about. But there are some of those ladies out there, I believe, would do that if they could. I guarantee it. But boy, I tell you what, when he loves something so much, like children i got to believe it would be hard for us not to love what Jesus loves and still be right with him. It's interesting. Jesus received those children, didn't he? You know what? He always receives those who come to him with childlike faith. 
He always does. I mean, remember when you came to him? Remember when you finally recognized yourself the sinner that you are? Remember how you realized that there was no hope of you ever entering into heaven or ultimately basking and living in that paradise because your sin stood between you and a holy, righteous God? Remember how it was when you realized and, re- and, and heard for the first time that Jesus Christ paid the awful penalty for sin by dying on Calvary, shedding his precious blood, being buried and rising again the third day? And you realized and learned at that point too that you, if you will call upon the name of the Lord, he'll save you, he'll forgive you, and he'll give you a home in heaven. Remember how it was when you finally recognized that and you received him. You, should I say you came to him. And when you came to him, what did he do? He received you. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And then, it's amazing how things turned out. Because see, once Jesus receives you, what's he do? He touches you. Boy, we sing a song, he touched me. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. Man, didn't he make you whole? He touched you too. And boy, I'll tell you, when he touches you, it changes your life. Because he blesses you. Just like he did those children that day. Boy, he took them up into his arms and he touched them and he blessed them. And may I say that that's the same as it is with every single one of us that come unto him like a child, believing simply by faith that he'll hear our cry and answer our prayer. He blesses. Children were important to Jesus when he was on earth. And I believe, without a doubt, they're still important to him today. I know that he ascended to heaven. And I know he's seated at the right hand of the Father. I realize that he's not on earth to to, to receive children unto himself physically any longer. But may I say, he left some hands, and he left some feet, and he left some hearts, and he left some bodies to reach out and touch some children still. And those hands and hearts and feet and Parts are all about you and I today because he loves them through us. God help us to never lose sight of what he loves, the children. We've got to keep reaching out and reaching into the lives of children. It's so important. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, the Bible says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be a steadfast, unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Boy, we're facing vacation Bible school. Teen spectacular. 
Let me tell you something, not every one of those children and not every one of those teenagers is going to respond the way they ought to. Not everyone's going to say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, no, sir, no, ma'am. It's not going to work like that. But I don't want you to ever forget that Jesus loves them. We've got to love them like Jesus does. You never go wrong investing in children. When you get frustrated with that child this week that you've told to sit down at least 12 times, and they're bouncing out of their seat every other minute because they're so excited, they can't wait for the game to start. And we all wish they'd be that excited for the preaching. Just got to remember what you're dealing with and who you're dealing with. These are God's children. And I say God's children in the sense that they're literally children. We know that we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So no faith in Christ, no child of God. We get that. I'm not, don't, don't misunderstand what I was saying there. There's a choice we make to become a child of God, and that's receiving the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I understand that. But boy, these are his babies. And he loves them. You better be careful how you handle them. Careful how you talk to them. I'm not saying that you've got to let them walk all over you. There's things in place, and if you're running into a problem and you don't know how to handle it, find somebody that can give you a hand. And if there's a child that is totally rebellious, then maybe you have to send them out to the principal's office, so to speak. We may have to do some things. I get it, but hold on. Be careful how you do it. It's worth, though, the investment. It's worth the headache sometimes. And there will be headaches from time to time. Many years ago, <clears throat> in an institution in the state of New York, there was a young teenage girl. Nobody in the entire institution could help this particular young lady, so they just kept her locked up in her cell. They just shoved food between the bars of the doors. You couldn't talk to her. You couldn't touch her. She'd attack anybody who tried to get even near her. One day, a little matron, not a nurse, not a doctor or a psychologist, just a worker who did menial tasks around the institution, felt sorry for that little girl. And so she made a plate of brownies, and she slipped them between the bars of the doors of her cell. She came by the next day, and she noticed that they hadn't been touched. She came by the second day, and they were still untouched. But on the third day, they had been eaten. And boy, that encouraged her. And so she made something else. And after a day or so, they would be gone. And so she made something else, and they were gone. Pretty soon, the little girl would grab the food and gobble it down immediately. And after days and days of gifts being brought to that little girl, she could be seen just standing still. As this little matron approached, she even allowed that little lady to, to touch her. Then she began to allow her to gently untangle the ravels in her hair. She let her clean her up, and after a while she began to feel more comfortable around some of the other people as well. And some of the experts began to take notice, and 
(laughs) They began to work with her and help her, and they found out that whatever the problem was, she could be helped like anybody else. Really, she became a very normal young lady. Well, except that she had a special ability to help folks because of what she had been through. One day, a doctor put her on a train and said, well, we've done everything we can for you. Now, you need to go and help someone else. What a novel idea. He sent her to a place down south to try and help a little girl who nobody had been able to help. This little girl was blind. It's an awful handicap to be blind. But you can survive because you can learn Braille and you can learn to get around with a cane or maybe even a seeing eye dog, right? But this little girl wasn't only blind. This little girl was deaf also. Sad thing to be deaf, isn't it? I mean, at least though you can learn some sign language and possibly read lips. And you can still read the printed word. But you couldn't show this little girl's sign language because she was blind. And you couldn't tell her about Braille because she was deaf. This lady who had once been in an institution herself just worked and worked and worked and worked. And finally one day she hit upon an idea of putting one of the little girl's hands under a pump where the water was coming out and another on her throat so she could feel the vibration of her vocal cords. And she said, water, water. And the little girl said the first intelligible word she ever said in her life. And that unlocked the door. She began to learn words and she did learn Braille, and she did learn to speak, and she did learn to communicate, and she inspired millions of people around the world. Her name, you know, is Helen Keller. And the teacher was Ann Sullivan. But there would have been no Helen Keller. There would have been no Ann Sullivan if there hadn't been one unnamed, almost forgotten matron in the insane asylum, who said, I don't know what the doctors know. And I don't know what the experts know. And I don't know what the studied and learned people know. But I know one thing. I can love you. And I can care about you. And I will do all I can. And her love did something that nothing else could do. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. You may not be an expert in psychology. You may not know anything about education. You may not be learned in any type of College courses. But my friend, if you will simply and can simply love these children, 
you can transform their lives. There is nothing in this world they need more than love. You know, there's no substitute for love. There's no substitute for concern. There's no substitute for a heart broken for the lost and those in desperate need of Jesus. Listen, don't let anybody steal your joy. Don't allow the naysayers to discourage you, but instead be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's not as much of what you know as who you are that matters. Do you love them like Jesus did? Aren't you glad there was somebody who reached out to an Ann Sullivan whom nobody thought there was any hope for? Maybe you'll be that matron or that fellow, just the normal guy, but someone with great love that will make the difference in a child's life even this week. God help us to love those who Jesus loves, the children. C.T. Studd wrote a poem, and I close with it. It goes like this. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still, small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in His will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow thy word to keep, faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasures on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, "Twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's love the children. Let's love who Jesus loved. And let's make a difference in our world, even this week, as we host these children. And realize how special they are to him. Maybe you're lost today without Christ. As he said, you need to come to him as a little child. Simply believing. It's not complicated and it's not difficult. You have to trust him. He loves you. 
And he wants your soul forgiven and saved. And he wants you to spend an eternity with him. But you have to come to him. And if you will come to him, he will take you up in his arms. He will touch you. And he will bless you. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the simplicity of your word and the opportunity that we have now to gather here tonight. And Father, to even respond even to your message. Lord, as every worker and every person that signed up to help will be around these children for the rest of the week, we pray, Lord, that our hearts would be tender to you and to them. And Lord, may you be with each of us, even in our own homes as we face our children daily. Lord, help us, Father, to do those things which will honor you when it comes to the children. Lord, again, we thank you that you'll forgive and save anyone that comes to you. Even as those little children came to you, Father, you want us to come. You are hoping we'll come. And when we do, you'll take us up in your arms. And Father, you will touch us and bless us. Oh God, if there's any without you today, may they be saved. May they come to you today and trust and receive you as their Lord and Savior. And Father, if there's a child of God today that just needs to come and prepare their heart even for this week, or Lord, just needs to deal with something you put on it today, may you simply, Father, give them the courage to make their way to an altar where they can settle those issues between you and them. Bless us now. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed and every